0: We are on our third and final uh, time going through Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 12. Yes, glad, glad it's over now. Uh, uh, but we're going to be jumping also into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. So we're going to be in both passages. But uh, I wanted to just share with you some some kind of cute things. They, they surveyed some kids about marriage. And uh, so they asked them a few questions. I wanted to share some of the answers of these little kids. It's kind of interesting how, you know, kids just say the most unique things. I remember the little children's things that we would go to when Michelle was doing these things with our kids, and and then they would sometimes survey the kids about parents and families and moms, and one of our kids, you know, we always had, Michelle always had her fingers crossed. One of our kids, everything they said made Michelle look great, and then we've had other kids that, their comments are not such a wonderful reflection. We won't, we won't talk about those, but anyway, they asked these kids about marriage, and uh Alan, 10 years old, they asked him, how do you decide who to marry? And he said, well, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. And if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. (laughs) And uh, Kristen was asked the same question. And she said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before. And you get to find out later who you're stuck with. Um, they, they asked uh, Derek, uh, he's eight years old, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? He says, well, you might have to guess based on if they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> and then uh, Lori, age eight, was asked, um, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? And Lori says, uh, both don't want any more kids. <laughs> um, you know, marriage is is just uh, the most amazing gift that God gives, but also being single is an amazing gift that God gives. And that's one of the things that we're going to see. You know, uh, one of the things about marriage uh, that I th- that I often think about is that marriage is for this life only. You know, we're going to be married now, but ultimately marriage points to the relationship between Christ and the church. And what that means is that when we get to heaven, uh, we're not going to have a unique relationship with our spouse that we have here on earth. Um, as, as the church, the body of Christ, we're going to be married to Christ. And uh, that is a very unique thing. And, and one of the ways that it affects me is I just think, man, I want to get the most out of my marriage when I'm here on earth. You know, because we don't get to do it again later. And, uh, you know, there's, there are some who uh, they can't imagine heaven without marriage. And it's just hard to picture, how could this be a great place? But my relationship with my spouse is not going to be unique. How can that be heaven? And it just reminds me how great heaven is and how great our marriage to Christ is going to be. There's other people who they can't wait for heaven when marriage will finally be over. And uh, that is a common human struggle too. I think that that Satan certainly attacks marriage um, because he doesn't want marriage to be what God wants it to be. And as we approach this whole topic of marriage and sexual relationships and all those things, the one thing that is nice to be reminded of is that there really is nothing new under the sun. And sometimes we look at our cultural shifts, we look at the things that seem new to us, that that when we were kids, things were not as they are now. But as you go back and you start in Genesis and you just read through Scripture, you find out that in every culture... There have been the same struggles, the same types of problems, and maybe we didn't see it in our lifetime, but there really is nothing new, and scripture addresses every single thing that we face, and there's, there are many people who say, oh yeah, the Bible's not for today. It was written a long time ago about different people in different places. Uh, every culture in some ways is unique, but God has not changed. People have not fundamentally changed. Satan's plan for people has not changed and uh, satan's plan in case you don't know he wants you to reject god satan wants you to be personally destroyed in this life Uh, just like adam and eve in the garden of eden where where satan said hey eat the tree eat the fruit from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it'll be good for you and satan has not stopped lying to people pursue things that god says is destructive but it'll be good for you And so Satan's desire has always been to destroy life on earth, but ultimately his desire is for people's eternal destruction. Um, The Bible says this in uh, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that has not changed. Um, I came, this is Jesus talking, that they might have life, And that they might have it abundantly. And that includes life now and life for all eternity. Everything that God tells us is for our best interest. And it is a blessing to obey God whether it seems like it or not. And as believers, it's really important for us to learn to think about everything the way God tells us to think. Romans 12, um, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I think, just as a baseline for life, and especially for those of us who are believers, we just need to know that it does not matter what things seem like, it does not matter how things feel, but what we know to be true is that obeying God and doing what God tells us is always best. And one of the things that Satan wants to do in culture and in the church is he wants you to be convinced that obeying obeying God is not what's best, and he actually wants the people around you to be convinced that sinning against God is in your best interest. And so as believers, we just start with that foundation. That what God says is true and right, and what is blessed. So this morning we are going to be considering. Uh, we're going to kind of emphasize really three things, and we've 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 looked already at the fact that God is, that divorce is not God's intention for marriage, and then uh, the second thing that we looked at was that divorce is permitted in the case of adultery, and so we're gonna we're gonna consider that that. Divorce is, is permitted in the case of adultery. But we're also going to look at what the Apostle Paul says. And he also says that divorce is permitted in the case of an unbelieving spouse abandoning a believer. And so we're going to look at what Paul says about that. And then we're going to consider the, the blessing of both being married and also being single. Those are both blessings. And in the United States, by the way, the, the percentage of marriage... Marriage-age people that are not married is growing. And uh, I don't know if we've crossed over that point, but we are so close to being about 50-50. And it used to be very different. There used to be uh, primarily married people in that age group. But now it's just about, it's just about equal uh, that there are single and married people. So we'll consider God's plan. So let's just look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. And we're going to read Jesus' words. And then we will look at what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So here's Matthew 19:1. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him. And he healed them there, testifying to the truth about who Jesus is and expressing God's love for people. Verse Chapter 19, verse 3, And Pharisees came up to him, testing him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Uh, We realize their culture was just like ours. And he answered, Have you not read? Jesus expected them to read and understand what God says. And he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's a reference to the sexual relationship, which doesn't make marriage, but is an expression of marriage. And then he goes on and he says, verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. God never intended for two people to get married and then get divorced. And that's actually true. Ultimately, every marriage is something that it is a a human commitment we do make. It is a promise, a commitment to another person. And last week, when we were looking at Malachi, one of the reasons that God judged the nation of Israel is because they broke the covenant that they made with their spouses. They broke those covenants. They got divorced, and God judged them for that. He said, I don't accept, I don't accept your offerings. Why? Because you, you have, the way you've treated the person that you are married to, you've divorced them. And what we recognize here is that, yes, marriage is a human commitment, but beyond that, marriage is a commitment that you are making to God, that you will do marriage the way God says to do marriage. And that is a very significant commitment and um, so what God has joined together ultimately God joins married people together and one of the things that we learn looking at the nation of Israel is even when they made commitments that they were not supposed to make they were expected before God to honor those commitments and we just remember when, when Joshua was, was going into the land of Canaan and this, this, uh, this nation deceived him into making him think that they lived far away when in reality they lived in the land. And instead of asking God and instead of um, approaching that choice the way they should have approached it, um, God expected them after it was done to keep that commitment. There are so many people who make the choice to get married and God is a part of that commitment and later they feel like divorce is okay because, well, I shouldn't have made that decision. It was a bad choice. Um, I should have taken the advice of people around me or, or, you know, this person deceived me into marrying them. And the bottom line is that once you've made a decision to get married, that commitment was not only to that person, it was to God. And God expects you to honor the commitment that you've made. And uh, so, uh, divorce was never God's intention, um, and we realize that ultimately marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, and that's something that we see um, that we looked at last week in Ephesians five. So, here's the second thing that we really need to consider: is that divorce is permissible, not commanded. It is permissible in the case of adultery. Jesus goes on in verse 7 and he says to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And again, the Pharisees are misrepresenting the Old Testament. God never commanded divorce, but that's what they taught, that if if you got married and you weren't happy in your marriage, that your spiritual obligation was to divorce your spouse. Man, everybody would need to be divorced if every time uh, they were unhappy with their spouse, God commanded divorce. So they misrepresented that. And Jesus says in verse 8, He said to them, Because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And one of the things I think that is important to clarify is that God doesn't allow divorce because of the hardness of people's hearts from the perspective of saying, oh, yeah, I got married, but I'm hard-hearted, and I don't want to be married to that person anymore. Oh, okay, well, then you can get divorced because you just refuse to obey. That is not what this is talking about. This is saying that because people don't honor marriage and they, they don't live in the way that God commands them to live, that divorce is allowed. And the example or the, the purpose of that is when a person gets married and their spouse is unfaithful, hard-heartedly unfaithful, because of that person's hard-heartedness, God frees the innocent spouse. And we realize that ultimately um, no person is innocent we all sin we all struggle but God doesn't confine people to a marriage where this where the person that they're married to is violating their marriage relationship and they're running around and they're being unfaithful and God says in that case you don't have to stay married and so he he provides for the innocent wedding partner because of the hardness of people's heart in marriage And so it just says that because of the hardness of heart, God has allowed divorce. Um, It goes on in verse uh, 9. And it says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is going to expand that, but Jesus says unless you divorce your spouse... Except for the cause of adultery, when you get married, you commit adultery. In other words, God does not view that marriage as being broken up. If, if the person you're married to is difficult to d- get along with, and you have lots of conflict, and you feel unsatisfied and unhappy and miserable in your marriage, the, the, the Christian response is to say, okay, I'm miserable but God addresses how I should live in this situation. God tells me how I'm supposed to think and how I'm supposed to respond. And maybe I sinned against God and I entered a marriage that God told me not to enter and now I'm suffering the consequences. Or maybe I didn't disobey God, but I just got married and I'm a sinful person and I'm married to a sinful person. So we're struggling Um, exiting that relationship is not something God allows except for the cause of adultery. And then Paul is going to give us another exception. So if you, have, um, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul is going to explain that God allows for divorce and remarriage, not that you divorce your spouse, but in another situation, if your spouse divorces you, You are free to remarry. So this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And again, just this uh, verse 10. To the married, I give this charge. And basically, Paul's going to say, you need to stay married. He's going to repeat what Jesus says. Now, in 1 Corinthians 7, there's this confusing phrase that happens where Paul is giving these instructions. And he's saying, not I, but the Lord. And then later, he says... Not the Lord, but me. And a lot of people, as they read 1 Corinthians 7, they're, they're very confused. Okay, so is Paul saying that, that God says some things? I mean, I thought Paul was inspired, I thought everything that Paul wrote was the Holy Spirit writing through the apostle. I mean, isn't that what inspiration is? And yet you have Paul saying, oh, no, Jesus says this, the Lord said this, and this is not the Lord saying it, this is me. And there's this kind of confusion as to some people. They go, oh, yeah, well, that means that this is just Paul's opinion and it's not something we need to abide by. And that's actually not what those phrases mean. Paul is just saying... And we'll read it in a second, and it'll make sense to you. But when Paul says, not I, but the Lord, he's just saying, I'm quoting Jesus when he was here on earth. And then when he says, not the Lord, but me, he's saying, now I'm not quoting Jesus. I'm writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But this is God writing through me. It's not me quoting Jesus when he was here on earth. So this is all inspired. It is all God's word. And Paul's just identifying when he's quoting Jesus and when he's giving new revelation. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, to the married, I give this charge. And then he says, not I, but the Lord. So he's just saying, I'm charging you to obey Jesus. And one of the things, when, when you just think about the fact that Paul's saying, I give this charge, that is authoritative. There are so many people that as they approach the Christian life, they feel like the Bible's optional. No, no, I decide. I do what I feel like doing. No. When you become a Christian, you completely submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ. No longer do you live life based on what seems best to you, but from the moment you become a Christian, everything that you do in life is, God, what do you say? Jesus, what do you say? I'm going to do that. And so this whole issue of marriage and divorce, none of these things are optional. Um, these are just what Christians do. And actually, uh, that's one of the, the, the commitments that Jesus gave when people came to him. He, he, he would call them to high commitment, and he would say to people, unless you're willing to take up your cross, which is d- to deny yourself, to be willing to die, die daily, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple." And so the issue is that when it comes to the Christian life, um, Christianity is available and open to anyone. People say things to me like, could Hitler have confessed and repented and come to Christ? And the answer to that is yes, he could have. There is no person, no matter what they've done, no matter what has gone on in their life, that cannot be redeemed and forgiven. But Jesus doesn't say... Uh, Anybody can be saved, but one of the requirements is that when you come to Christ, you deny yourself and you follow him. Whoever doesn't do that cannot be my disciple. The the United States and the the world is full of people who completely misunderstand what it means to be Christians. In Malachi, uh, on the passage on divorce, one of the things that God says is, I hate that people see evil and label it as good. There are so many people who say, oh, no, I'm in charge. I am the Lord of my life. I do what I think is best. Anything I read in the Bible, I take that under advisement, but I do it or not depending on what seems best to me. And Jesus just says, yeah, that person cannot be my disciple. Being a disciple or a follower of of Christ is just a person who recognizes, no, I obey Jesus. And the Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans chapter uh, 7 where he talks about his struggle with sin. So that doesn't mean that as believers, we don't struggle to obey God. It does not mean that as believers, we always obey God. But the baseline commitment of a Christian is that what God says, I submit to. And a person who just disregards that, who has no consideration for that, is a person who is testifying That they don't actually know Jesus. In fact, the New Testament says um, that by their deeds, they deny me. It's not just what you say with your mouth that affirms Christ. It's the way you live your life. And Jesus just says, everybody who loves me obeys me. And so that's just a baseline starting place. And so when Paul says to the married, I give this charge, it's not a suggestion, It is an instruction, and God, who's the creator of the world, has a right to tell us what to do. So we obey God because um, he has the right to tell us what to do. So to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord, he's quoting Jesus, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And then Paul's going to go on and he's going to say to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Again, he's saying now I'm not quoting Jesus. I'm giving direct revelation. And so divorce is not God's plan. And number two, believers do not divorce unbelievers. There are plenty of people I've talked to who are really struggling in their marriage, have come and just said, man, this is terrible. I am, I am in a living hell. Um, I, am, I am married to a person who doesn't seem li- see life the way I see it. They're not going the direction that I'm going. When it comes to raising our kids and the kinds of things that we're teaching our kids, I teach my kids one thing. My spouse is teaching them something else. This is a terrible situation and I need to get out. I've talked to many people who feel incredibly overwhelmed. Now, sometimes, Those are people who, um, the Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 at the very end, I think it's verse 33, close to the end. Paul says that when your spouse dies, you can marry anybody you want, only in the Lord. The scripture's clear that believers only marry other believers. Uh, One of the things the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And in that passage, it's nothing. See, for a believer, you have one commitment to glorify Jesus. That is not the commitment of unbelievers. Their number one commitment in life is not to obey and honor Jesus. And that's why, for a believer, you only marry believers. Now, in some ways, we may need that advice. But in another sense, a person who is committed to honoring and obeying God doesn't need to be told that. Like that is just something that would naturally flow out of your life. So when a, when a believer marries an unbeliever, it is because they're not living their life correctly. They don't have their priorities correct. I mean, a, a person who says, my whole life is to honor and obey the Lord. That, that's my commitment. And I'm going to marry somebody who encourages me and who helps me to do that. I'm not going to marry a person who's actually completely against that. I wouldn't do that. And so believers are only to marry believers. But sometimes people make a commitment that they shouldn't have made, in which case God has a different plan for blessing. By the way, that was the house I grew up in, a mom who made a decision she wasn't supposed to make. And then I grew up, and I saw that firsthand, what that looked like, what that meant. And I also saw the unique way that God blessed the marriage of my parents. And my dad didn't come to know the Lord until he was old. He was in his 80s when he came to know the Lord. So they lived their whole life that way. And so I I grew up, and I saw that, but God has a different plan for blessing. Sometimes you have two people who are unbelievers, Nobody disregarded anything, but along the way, one of them comes to know Christ, and their life is transformed, and God has an incredible blessing in that situation. may still be challenging. may still be difficult, but, you know, one of the blessings in that is at least you know I didn't create this mess by disregarding God. I'm here because of God's sovereign plan, and, and, and sometimes if you think about it, like people talk about missionary dating. Uh, There's no such thing as missionary dating. Like that, that. dating believers dating unbelievers is the opposite of missionary dating. That's basically communicating um, that God is not that significant in my life. But sometimes God sends a missionary into a marriage by saving one of the spouses. And that's what's being addressed here. Verse 12, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If you're married to an unbeliever who's willing to stay married to you, you do not divorce your unbelieving spouse. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Um, God's has a plan for marriage, and it's that it be permanent. He goes on, and he's going to explain why, that God blesses unbelieving spouses, and he blesses children because of a believing parent. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So holy is to be separate, separated, reserved for God. One of the amazing things in a marriage is that God blesses believers. God loves believers. When you have a person who loves God and who wants to honor God and who wants to obey God, God is going to bless that person. And guess who gets blessed? Everybody around that person. So when you have a believing spouse, part of God's blessing of that believing spouse is to believe, is to bless the unbelieving spouse too. Part of blessing kids is that God blesses this couple; He blesses this family, and kids get blessed. That's actually one of the things that I think about in my life. Um, I, I want to be faithful ultimately. I want to be spiritually faithful because I love the Lord. I want to please the Lord. And from the moment I became a Christian, I have not always honored God in my life. But that has been my foundational principle. My purpose has been to honor God. And then when I wander away, I repent. I come back to the Lord. And um, so that, that is my commitment. And, uh, but one of the things that motivates me, I have that personal com- commitment. But one of the things I also recognize is that when I sin, that brings God's discipline into my life. And who else does that affect? If God's going to discipline me, that's going to affect Michelle. She's not going to be uninvolved in that. If God's going to discipline me, that's going to potentially affect my kids. And part of the reason I stay faithful is that I want God's blessing in my life. And that's actually what happens. When you have a a believer married to an unbeliever, God blesses the whole family. And so God says, don't divorce your unbelieving spouse. Now, just on a side note, if God blesses a marriage and a family because one of the spouses is a believer, how much more? Should that be true? When you have a mom and a dad who both love the Lord, who are both honoring the Lord, who are, it's not one person who says, I'm going to obey God and how I treat you, and the other person that cares nothing about what God says, how a person is supposed to treat a spouse. So in that situation, God still blesses the family. But when you have a husband and a wife who say, I'm going to honor God, I am going to work toward the spiritual blessing of my spouse, When they're a jerk to me, I'm going to return good for evil. When they think I'm a jerk to them, they're going to return good for evil. And we're both going to be on the same page of raising our kids to know the Lord. How much more should a Christian marriage just have God's blessing poured out into it? And I just want you all to know that Satan does not want that. And uh, in all the marriages I've seen, if I was to say, okay, Uh, There's some unbelievers and there's some believers. You know, it's not like unbelievers have these horrible marriages and believers all have wonderful marriages. I mean, that's not how it is, right? I mean, it's like you just look in life. It's like unbelievers, some of them struggle in their marriage. And sometimes sometimes there's unbelievers who struggle less. And then other times you have believers who have a great marriage, and other times believers are really struggling. It is not Satan's plan for the family to function correctly, but it should, and especially for those of us who are believers. You know, a difficult marriage that is not providing happiness is not a reason for divorce. It's actually an opportunity for great blessing. Let me just make a couple suggestions. If you're married to an unbeliever or if you are married to a disobedient believer, um, if that's true, then this is an incredible opportunity for you to grow in your walk with the Lord. For you to say, God, I'm not going to treat my spouse how they deserve to be treated. I'm going to treat them the way you tell me to treat them. I'm going to take all my love for you and I'm going to pour it out on my spouse who it doesn't seem like they deserve it. It is an incredible opportunity for you to say, I am not going to do what I feel like doing. I'm going to do what God tells me to do, which is how every Christian lives their life. But you have every single day to practice. Here's the good news. If you're in a marriage that's really difficult, you're going to blow it. I mean, it's going to happen. But the good news is in a very short time, you'll have a chance to practice that one again. I mean, isn't it nice when you kind of mess something up and you're like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have acted like, well, just wait 20 minutes. Your spouse will be a jerk to you again. You got another chance to do the right thing. It's a great opportunity to just learn how to love God and how to obey God no matter what. I'll tell you something else. It is an incredible opportunity for you to see God do miracles. Um, Like, I just, I remember, I actually quit sharing the gospel with my dad. I'd been a Christian. I'd shared the gospel with him over and over. I finally thought, man, this is a waste of time. I am not going to talk to him anymore. I quit praying for him. I quit sharing the gospel with him. I just felt like it was hopeless. And year after year and month after month, this is never going to help. And you know you know what? Um, I actually... The Lord worked on my heart, but I had an opportunity to see my dad come to know the Lord. And marriages that seem horrible and terrible and like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, you have an opportunity, if you obey God, to see the Lord do a miracle and turn that around. It is an incredible opportunity for the body of Christ to function the way God intends the body of Christ to function. And that is that we come alongside, that we, we're in favor of marriages. We're on everybody's side. You're not the only one evangelizing your spouse. Everybody in the church is praying for your spouse, loving your spouse, rooting for your marriage, encouraging your marriage. I think about uh, my unbelieving parents and some of their huge struggles going to our church for counseling and to see the, the pastors and the people who came alongside and were an encouragement and a help to my parents, one a believer, one an unbeliever, to have a whole church that is surrounding and praying for and encouraging your family and that is on your side and on the side of a marriage that is struggling. Now, everybody working together, it is an opportunity for the church to function the way the church is supposed to function. And ultimately, salvation is the goal. Uh, Look at verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Salvation is the ultimate goal. And that's ultimately the purpose of everybody. Um, but it does say there that if the unbelieving spouse divorces you, that you're free to remarry. And so that is one of the things that Paul adds. So marriage is significant. Let's jump into marriage and singleness both being a gift. Both marriage and singleness are God's gift. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. And we're going to go back to um, 1 Corinthians, but let's just go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. The disciples said to him, this is a crazy reaction, Uh, Jesus just says you can't get divorced. How do the disciples respond? Um, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Like the disciples, oh, you can't get divorced? Well, then nobody should get married. Like what was their view of marriage? Like it's this terrible, horrible thing. Man, nobody should get married if you're stuck to the person you're married to. Um, that's incredible. It lets us know that their culture wasn't so different than ours. And Jesus just says, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Um, You know what's interesting that Jesus doesn't say? Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, you have to get married. Everybody has to get married if they want to be happy. Uh, You're an incomplete person if you're not married. Um, If you don't get married, you'll never be happy. You'll only be alone. That is not how Jesus responds. Jesus says, no, singleness is good, but only for people who the Lord has given that to. So singleness is good. And sometimes people get the idea that if you're not married, you're half a person, or somehow you're missing out on something in life. And the Apostle Paul actually is going to say, no, being single. In fact, the Apostle Paul was single. He did have that gift. And the Apostle Paul was actually saying, no, being single's married. My advice to you is don't get married. But if you have to, I mean, get married. But singleness is just so much better. That's what the Apostle Paul says. But one of the things we need to remember is that marriage is good. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is good. Proverbs 19.14, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A good marriage is a gift that God gives. So marriage is good. And uh, in, in, our, in our culture, we have this idea that if we fall in love, that there's like this secret thing. Oh man, maybe I could find the right person and we fell in love. and Oh, this is so wonderful and we're married because I, I randomly found the right person. Isn't that amazing? And I just want you to know that falling in love doesn't make a good marriage. It doesn't. Um, There are plenty of people who have had great marriages throughout history who somebody else picked their spouse. They never met their spouse before they married them. Uh, I, I remember this one singles, there was a singles group, and sometimes in churches you have these big singles groups, and this one pastor was talking, went and spoke to the singles group. He's like, man, this is a room full of people and everybody's moping and they're all depressed that they're not married and they they really want to be married. They feel like they can't function in life. And he's just like, okay, so we got all the ladies over here who are depressed they're not married. We have got all the men over here that are depressed that they're not married. Look up from the floor. Look across the room at each other and just go get married. Like you got a room full of people that are single that want to be married. Just pair up and go get married. And, and there's, there's nothing about, oh, find the right person, that special person for you. Um, there's a sense in which uh, marriages, and I'm not saying that, that God doesn't work in those ways, but people who think that falling in love is why they get married and what makes a special marriage, as soon as they struggle, they get divorced. Why? We're not in love anymore. I fell in love with somebody else. You know, none of those things make marriage. You love who God tells you to love. And the moment you get married, uh, hopefully you fell in love with your wife, but if you didn't, or your husband, but if you didn't, then it's your job to figure out how to fall in love with them. So you just you fall in love with whoever you're married to, and you stay in love. That's not something that just magically happens. That is a choice. And so, um, so singleness is a good thing. Marriage is a blessing. Look at verse 12 of Matthew 19. For there are eunuchs... Who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So let's talk about what a eunuch is. Um, A eunuch is a person with no sexual desire, Uh, a eunuch, in a literal sense, is a person who's been castrated. And throughout history, uh, people have been castrated, like uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you guys know that when they went to go work in the temple, Nebuchadnezzar grabbed up people, and he says, you're working in the temple, there's all kinds of kings had wives everywhere, and they're just like, there's going to be no funny stuff going on. So everybody we bring in the temple, or everybody we bring into the the castle that's going to be here, that's going to be working and taking care of things, we castrate all the men. And, and, and in history, that's what they did. And very likely, that's what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar brought them in, they were probably castrated. That was, that, was the, that was the practice of the day. And so that's what, um, uh, what a eunuch is. It's a person who's castrated. And, uh, but it's, it's figurative for a person who has no sexual desire. You see that as you go through this. One of the things that's interesting, you guys know, have you ever heard of Origen? He was like a church father. And uh, Origen took everything in the Bible to be figurative, except this. It's like he's blowing everything off, and then he actually went to a doctor and had himself castrated. I just want to start right now. If you find yourself in the last category of being a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven, that is talking about reserving yourself for heaven. It is not saying that anybody should go be castrated. So please don't hear that or do that. So there are some people who are, who are eunuchs from birth. Uh, that's having no, no desire for marriage. Um, people who are made eunuchs by men. That would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. That was the Apostle Paul. A person who said, I want my whole life to be dedicated to honoring and serving the Lord. And I don't want to encumber myself with marriage where my interests will be divided. I'm going to be committed only to serving the Lord. And he was not physically a eunuch. Um, he did that. Um, he just, that was a personal commitment. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7. We're going to read a few verses here. Um, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 6. Now, as a concession, not a command... Paul is going to say, it's better to be single. But what he's going to say is, I'm not commanding you to be single. Um, So that's what he's saying here. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. So the Apostle Paul here is just going to say that singleness is better unless you're so overwhelmed and so focused on marriage and you have an incredible desire to get married. In that case, Paul says, get married. But if you don't, serve the Lord, honor the Lord, First um, Timothy 4, um, chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible's actually talking about f- false teaching and doctrines of demons. And one of the doctrines, one of the demonic doctrines is to forbid marriage. And um, so that's in First Timothy chapter 4. Paul's not forbidding marriage here. Look at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you freed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you from that. Think about that. You're going to be a missionary on the field. I've talked to people who want to go into missions. And they're like, man, this is a very dangerous place. God's called me to this place, but I can't go because if I go, uh, I'd be risking my wife's life. If I took my family, I'd be risking my kids' lives. Uh, I've known missionaries who have abandoned their wives and their kids to go do missions. You know, that is so sinful. I would never support a missionary who abandons their kids to go to a mission field or who abandons their spouse to go do ministry. But if you want to go minister in dangerous places and you don't want to run the risk of your spouse or kids being killed, you don't have to get married and you don't have to have kids. You can just pursue that personally. Look at verse 32. Um, 1 Corinthians 7 32. I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Okay, so just two points there. Number one, if you're not married, you don't have to be concerned about the needs of your spouse. You can completely dedicate yourself to the Lord. But if you are married, you are to be committed to the needs of your spouse, to pleasing your spouse. That's one of the things you see here. Paul's talking about it in a negative sense, saying it's better to be um, single but the bottom line is that if you are married, pleasing your spouse, caring for your spouse, taking care of your spouse is your obligation also. Um, verse, it says in the middle of verse 34, And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. And so Paul is just saying that being single is a very blessed place to be. And he's encouraging the value of that. Just to wrap things up in this section. A marriage is an incredible blessing. And if you're married, I hope you can't imagine being single. And if you imagine being single, you need to stop. You need to just focus on being married in the place that God has called you and having a marriage that God intends for you to have. If you're single... Um, don't, don't be upset. Don't feel like, oh my goodness, I, I can't be whole. I'm going to be miserable. I just can't, I have to have another person. No, focus on serving the Lord. But if you have an intense desire to get married, then find another faithful believer and marry them. Um, that's my encouragement. And, and we need to honor and obey God and the things that he gives us. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. Lord, marriage is so significant. It is an incredible blessing to people who are married. It is your intention for creating a home and having a place that disciples and trains the next generation of believers. Lord, that is what you've called us to. And Lord, if we are single, that includes another whole set of blessings. And that is the blessing of just undivided devotion and service for you. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to be thankful for whatever state we are currently in. And, Lord, if we have a, a, a request or a desire to be married when we're single, Lord, we, we pray that you would honor and bless that in your time, in your name. Amen.